This is ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. According to the American Lung Association, 22% of high school students are smokers and 8% of middle school students are smokers. Approximately 90% of smokers begin lighting up before age 21, usually in their teens. But tobacco companies say they no longer target teens in their advertising. And in fact, the largest tobacco company, Philip Morris, claims to encourage teens not to smoke by investing about $100 million a year in smoking prevention programs. On the other hand, only a few years ago, total advertising and promotion by five major tobacco companies was $15.5 billion, the highest ever recorded. Health professionals are paying attention to how those dollars are being spent and who is being influenced by tobacco advertising today. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM Channel 233. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and joining me from Atlanta, Georgia, is my guest, Dr. Karen Glantz. Dr. Glantz is director of the Emory Prevention Research Center, professor of behavioral sciences and health education at the Rollins School of Public Health, and Georgia Cancer Coalition Distinguished Research Scholar. She has contributed to more than 250 journal articles and book chapters. Welcome, Dr. Glantz. Thank you, Kathleen. So, Dr. Glantz, as I mentioned in our introduction, tobacco companies say they are not advertising to teens, but they are also spending more money than ever on advertising to adults. Will this advertising reach teens? Of course it will. You know, they say that uh, the, the thing that you do to get teenagers to want something the most is to tell them that it's an adult thing. And uh, so although some of the advertising has been diverted to different media because of the restrictions on the types of advertising and the, some of the strategies, um, the advertising will still reach teens. And in particular, the um, advertising that occurs inside stores that, that sell tobacco products is going to be in the face of of teenagers and anyone else who walks into the stores. Right. You mentioned some of the restrictions in the late 90s billboard advertising of tobacco was banned. Where did tobacco companies turn to invest those advertising dollars? In the late 90s, they began turning to um, kind of promotional products like hats, T-shirts, you know, kind of giveaway products. But then the restrictions came in that stopped that from happening and then they began to turn more directly to the stores that sell um, as far as advertising, posters, promotional displays, coupons, and so forth. It makes obvious sense on the part of cigarette manufacturers um, to try to get teenagers interested in smoking because it's rare for adults to take up the habit. In what ways are teens being targeted in those stores? The slant of some of the um, promotional materials actually, you know, encourages teens to consider them. And just in the general way of making smoking looking attractive, fun, hip, um, and so forth, um, those are some of the kinds of promotional appeals that tobacco companies have used. Talk to us about the role race plays in how cigarette makers are marketing their products. Race is, is a very interesting element in the overall tobacco promotion field, because different racial images and kind of racial and, and cultural um, kind of habits have been identified by the tobacco companies. Over the years, they've attempted to create specific types of, of cigarette brands within their companies that might a- appeal to, say, you know, the hip-hop culture um, of African-Americans or the Latino culture 
American Indian, Native American type of culture. I'm curious, what, what were those brands? What were they called? The Native American one, I think, was called Dakota. Oh, and I can't remember. There was an African American brand that actually was tough marketed in Philadelphia. Can't remember the name of it, but but actually, it was that was a fascinating story because what happened was that the African American community leadership, including a lot of the ministers as well as health leaders got together and protested, and they they essentially shut that brand down. And so they're looking for who they can target, who they can safely go after. Yes. A few years ago, there was an increase in smoking among teenage girls. Does that trend continue today? I haven't seen the statistics for the last year or two, but I believe it was somewhat leveling off. But But the trajectory among teenage girls is still has been on the increase while it's been slightly decreasing um, among boys more so. And that's really an unfortunate trend because uh, lung cancer in women is also on the rise as associated with smoking. And I read that it's more difficult for women to quit smoking on the uh, Lung Association's website, but they don't know why. There's a lot of research that's still going on to try to better understand kind of the mix of biological, genetic, psychological factors that may contribute to that. One of the, you know, kind of commonly recognized factors is the concern about weight gain with um, quitting smoking that comes up for a lot of females. So that's, that's at least part of the mix. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Reach MD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and my guest is Dr. Karen Glantz, director of the Emory Prevention Research Center and author of hundreds of published journal articles on public health. Dr. Glantz, one of your studies published in the Journal of Health Communication looked at tobacco advertising and promotion in stores. For one thing, you found more than 3,000 ads and promotions in just 184 stores. Describe what else you found. One of our main findings was that the most heavily advertised brand of cigarette was Cool. That was particularly interesting because Cool is generally not the brand of choice for teenage smokers, but it is the most heavily smoked brand in Hawaii, which is where we conducted our study. Part of the um, impression that, that we have is that tobacco companies think that Asian American populations may prefer mentholated cigarettes, such as Cool. But what you can't miss is that the most heavily advertised brand is the most heavily smoked brand. Right. Does it make a difference that a cigarette is mentholated in terms of encouraging um, initiation of smoking as a habit? Not necessarily on a wide scale, but some people find it less distasteful, I guess, to smoke a, a mentholated brand. But it's really a matter of taste. I mean, one of the things that the tobacco companies have learned over the years is that they need to give a lot of people different choices. In some cases, it's taste. In some cases, it's the intensity of the the nicotine rush and so forth. So um, having different choices makes a difference. It's where they target their advertising, though, that may really have an influence on sales. Mm-hmm. And looking at, at these stores where they have so many ads jam-packed within the stores, how do they do it? Where do they put the ads? The ads are both inside and outside the stores. They are on the windows, they're at the cash registers, they're on the displays where cigarettes are located, and then there are also kind of special displays that uh, the manufacturers put into the stores, and they often actually pay the stores to, to put those up. 
And, and they're paying, looking for specific placement. There are better places. Some places are better in better than others in stores to um, place your product or your ad. Yes, um, things that are near the end of an aisle or near the cash register. Those are some of the more desirable places. Nobody wants to have their ad kind of stuck in the back or in the middle of an aisle that most people won't be going down. Do they purposely link where their ads are to where middle school age children or teen teens might be looking? In that case, you'd mostly be talking about stores and advertisements that are located near schools. And particular middle and high school students are often allowed to go off campus and they often use the stores in the neighborhoods. Now, a lot of states have regulations saying that it's illegal to post these signs within X distance from a school. What we found in our study was that those laws, although they did exist in Hawaii at the time, were not really being enforced. And that indeed, we did find 59 stores that had signage on outside their stores that were within a thousand feet of a playground. Mm-hmm. I was curious about even within the stores, once you get those kids, they're near near the schools, the kids get their break, they get to go over and they're going to look for candy and maybe certain reading material, toys. They're going to look for certain things within the store. Do, do they consider that when they're looking at where to place advertisements? Yeah, I think in general, the advertisements will be placed in the most prominent, most visible places. Among other things, tobacco is generally a fairly high-profit um, item for stores to sell, so that further encourages the, the store owners and, and managers to feel comfortable promoting tobacco sales because that's where some of their profits come from. One of the national health goals adopted in the year 2000 was to have no more than 15 percent of young people and 12 percent of adults smoking. Do you think these goals will be met? On the side of the adults, highly unlikely. (laughs) People um, who have a special focus and are really um, fully involved in the science of projection of tobacco use have have projected that it's unlikely that we'll get to that level. We we might get down into the high teens. Um, Actually, I think we're we're in about the high teens right now, but 12% is pretty unlikely in the immediate future. For teens, it's it's a little bit tricky because when you come up with an aggregate figure like that for teen smoking, it kind of lumps together all the different age groups. And we know that the beginning of smoking uptake increases as teens get older. It's going to be older and higher in high school than in middle schools. Um, And lumping it together makes that a little tricky. But I think that that rate is, is pretty ambitious. Yeah. Well, along with education... One would think that the increase in the price of cigarettes and restrictions across the country banning smoking in public places, those things must be helping. Uh, They've made an enormous impact. Smoking among adults is less than half of what it was 25 years ago. Um, So they've made an enormous impact. But, But where we are now is that a lot of the people that are still smoking are heavy smokers, they're addicted smokers, and they have a really hard time quitting. So even with all the restrictions around them, that's that's going to be much harder to get much lower than where things are now. Right. So where will be the great um, effort on the part of those who want to help people not start the habit in the first place? Uh, I think a lot of that habit still will be in schools, but also in the homes. Um, I think as 
fewer kids grow up in homes where their parents are smoking, they'll be less likely to smoke. I also think that enforcement of laws prohibiting the sales of tobacco to minors can make a difference. There are laws in every state in the United States, but the enforcement of them is pretty variable. Right. So it's going to be a combined effort on the part of parents and law enforcement as well as healthcare professionals. Yes, definitely. I think it really is going to take a lot of different directions to be um, working together to, to improve the situation further. Thank you for listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and my guest has been Dr. Karen Glantz of Emory University. Thank you, Dr. Glantz. Thank you, Kathleen. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.